0: Good morning, Central Church. Hey, if you're watching us online this morning, we're glad you're joining us here for our 9:30 service, whether that's Facebook Live or our webstream uh, website. Uh, maybe you're watching us in the concourse outside, or maybe you're in our overflow room in the Oakwood Chapel. Uh, we just want to greet you warmly this morning. Thank you for joining us for this worship service. And those of you that are here live, anywhere in the facility, would you take out your, your bulletin this morning and just tear the perforation for me? We do two things with this. The large portion, you can take notes on the message today, um, critique me, and then give it to your husband or wife and say, this is what I think he did today. Um, The other side is a thin portion. It's called a communication card. And on the very top of that, you can write down prayer requests. If you have a prayer need today, you can can keep that confidential or you can put your name on it. Uh, As you exit today, uh, all of the exits have boxes attached to the walls. They say offering and prayer requests. Just drop that in on your way out. If you have a physical offering, a check or cash that you want to give to the Lord in worship this morning, you can do that in the exact same way uh, on your way out this morning. Just pray with me. God, thank you this morning for this church and, and your church across the city and your, your church across our nation and throughout the world. God, those gathering in different time zones, Lord, those gathering to worship Jesus Christ, we join with that great throng of people in heaven and on earth to declare the greatness of Jesus Christ, to worship him and to declare that he's holy, holy, holy. Lord, we love you this morning and we praise you. We thank you for your, your presence among us. We thank you that, Holy Spirit, you, you heal and you save and you deliver and you teach and you guide us. And so we pray that you would do that this morning in each of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to John chapter 3. Find the New Testament. John's the fourth book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to be in chapter 3, verse 27 in just, just a moment here. Uh, we're in a series called The Life. It's a study in the Gospel of John because Jesus Christ is the only source of true life that we're pursuing. So what are you consumed by? We're all consumed by something. In other words, something that you always think about, you, you always desire, you love doing it, you invest your time, you invest your money into that. What are, what are you consumed by? So I've never really been a huge TV guy. I mean, I watch TV, usually sports, but it's rare when I would get kind of hooked on a TV series or something like that until this pandemic hit, boy. And then all of a sudden, my wife and I were watching Netflix and Prime Video and all that. stuff. I've never really watched that stuff before. And there there have been two or three series that we've just been locked into. I mean, I didn't know what binge viewing was until now. Like, we're burning through episodes so fast it's, like, silly, you know. But, but you get consumed by things. What are, what are you consumed by? Are you cons- consumed with your, your favorite sports team? I'm sure Bucks fans and Chiefs fans right now are pretty consumed with what's, what's going on there. Are you consumed with reading? I mean many people they, they set goals every year how many pages they want to read or how many books they want to read are you Are you consumed with politics well that 's going down the drain pretty fast. so what about like video games? Are you consumed with with video games what what 's consuming your life? You know to be consumed with something can be can be crippling and it can be destructive and restrictive in our lives. If you have an addiction to, to alcohol or drugs or gambling or sex, that can be a really debilitating uh, consumption of your life, um, but not all be, being consumed with with some things isn't bad. Uh, think about the, the the people that rise to greatness in their particular fields or their particular professions. I mean, they're consumed with what they do, right? Uh, Michael, J- uh, uh, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, they're all consumed with basketball. And from an early age, they were driven to be great in that area. Itzhak Perlman is probably the greatest virtuoso violinist of our day, uh, pr- pr- maybe the greatest ever. Uh, at four years old, uh, he contracted polio and lost youth- use of both of his legs. By, by age 10, he gave his first recital. By age 13, anybody remember, remember the Ed Sullivan Show? Age 13, he's on the Ed Sullivan Show. Uh, age 18, he's playing at Carnegie Hall. He's, he's received 15 Grammys, Presidential Medal of Honor. He's received every possible medal that you can, every award that you can possibly get. He's consumed from age four with the violin. And you mix that obsession with talent and, and it produces greatness. Being consumed isn't always bad. In fact, what we're going to learn today in John chapter 3, and I want you to write this down, true disciples become consumed with Jesus. True disciples become consumed with Jesus. We're going to begin reading in John chapter 3 here in a second. Let me give you a little, little background to this text. So the first 21 verses of John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Uh, He's a Pharisee. He's a Jewish religious leader. Well, that changes, and the scene changes, and the context changes. Jesus and his disciples go to some of the rural areas of Jerusalem. So the context shifts from Jerusalem to the rural areas outside of Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples begin to baptize in one of those areas, and John the Baptist And his disciples also begin to baptize people in in that same similar region. Well, a a contention arises between John's disciples and a Jewish person, we don't know who it is, the text doesn't tell us, about this issue of ceremonial cleansing or purification through baptism. And in the context of that conversation, we don't know exactly what the the contention was, but, but John's disciples bring it to John. And essentially, they say to John, hey, hey John, listen, um, remember Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he, he on whom the Holy Spirit falls. Remember that Jesus, the, the one you said, this is the one? Well, well, he and his disciples are, are baptizing folks out by us, and, and everyone's going to him. Like, dude, you're, you're losing the show. Like, pe- people aren't following us anymore. They're, they're, not, they're not following you anymore. They, they all seem to be more interested in go, going out to Jesus And in verse 27, we see John's response to that. He says this. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Let's pause there. A man can receive nothing unless it's been given him from heaven. In other words, everything we have, everything we've received has come from God. John is telling us, don't hold too tightly to what you have. Don't, don't hold too tightly to your money. Don't, don't hold too tightly to your possessions. Don't hold too tightly to your job. Don't hold too tightly to your relationships. If you have a ministry, don't, don't hold too tightly to your ministry. Because remember what Job taught us? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And the most important part of that verse... Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Don't don't cling too tightly to what you have in life. It's it's been given you from God, and it can be taken away by God. And if he takes it away, our response is to be, blessed be what? The name of the Lord. Charlene and I consider the, the last 10 years of our lives as incredibly blessed. What, what an amazing privilege to be a part of Central Church. For, for us to be, to be given the opportunity to serve and to lead in the capacity we've had is absolutely amazing. We're, we're humbled by that. But, but a, a point is coming when a younger man is going to step into the ministry here. And, and I'm going to fade into the western sunset or somewhere where it's warmer And I hope I have the maturity to say with this ministry, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Hold loosely to the things God has given you because a day is coming when you may not have those. John's ministry was being taken away. John's role was completely changing. The disciples are coming, almost, almost assuming that John's going to say, You're kidding me. They're going to Jesus. We got to do something about that. I'm going to hold on to my ministry. Everything a person has has come from heaven. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 28. You yourselves are my witnesses, John tells his disciples, that I, that I said, I am not the Christ, I am not the Messiah. I am not the one to be pursued. I am not the, the one to be worshipped. I am not the one to be esteemed. I am not the one to be glorified. I, I am not the one to serve. The, the one coming after me is the Christ. I am simply sent ahead of him to prepare the way. He who has the bride is the groom or the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, that phrase in our day would mean the best man. The friend of the bridegroom, or the best man who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. The the best man is happy when he sees his friend overjoyed by this woman that God has brought into his life. He's not jealous. He's not insecure that his best friend is now getting married. He celebrates that. He celebrates the joy that his friend feels as he is ready to embrace his bride so John is able to say this this joy of mine is made full I'm not bitter because I'm losing a ministry I'm not bitter because the, my, my, my ministry is changing direction my life is ch- I'm not bitter because I'm losing this I'm overjoyed because Jesus is getting his bride verse 30 you've read this before he must increase but I must decrease He who comes from above is above all. He's talking about Jesus, came from heaven. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above everything. Verse 32, what he has seen and heard, he's referencing Jesus, what he has seen in heaven and heard in heaven, he brings the message of heaven. Of that, Jesus testifies to us that he's the son of God, that he came from heaven to save the world from its sins, what he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and this is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture, and no one receives his testimony. It doesn't literally mean no one. Some versions say few, very few receive Christ's testimony, and that's true today. Most people don't accept Christ. It, it's, it's, it's the few that, that do accept Christ, um, I hope you're part of that few. But what a, what a sad verse that God sent his son and he came and he testified of heavenly things and he testified of God and, and not very many people really responded. Verse 33, but he who has received Christ's testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For, he himself, for God him, God gives him the spirit without measure. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the judgment or the wrath of God abides on him. I want to share with you this morning four confessions of a true disciple In other words, four things that if we got up every morning as Christ followers, if we made these four declarations every morning, our day would be headed in the right direction. If you're taking notes, you can follow along. The first one's this. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. We're talking about the testimony of John the Baptist. Four things we can also confess as true disciples of Jesus Christ. The first is this. It's it's all about Jesus. John's life was significantly changing. He was transitioning in his life from the star of the show to a stagehand. No one willingly does that. No, no human willingly transitions, voluntarily says, you know, I don't really like being the star. I want to be the best supporting actor. Or, or I want to be a stagehand that's never on camera. No one ever, LeBron James has never gone to a coach and said, you know what, coach? I just want to play like five or ten minutes a game. And you know what? I, I don't need to be the highest paid player in the league. And, and and I don't need Gatorade endorsements. And and you know what? After the game, I don't I don't I don't really need to, you know, have the press come to me and ask me. I don't I don't I don't need any of that. No one's ever done that. Because we love being the star. No one does that except a follower of Christ. No one does that except a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Who understands their calling is to, is to not be the star, but to be a stagehand. And that's the call of a disciple. Here, here's what it says in verses 28 and 29 You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, This is John speaking, I am not the Christ. You know, some of us would do good every morning to, to wake up and say, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that needs to be worshipped. I'm not the one that needs to be pursued. I'm not the one that needs to be affirmed. I'm not the one that needs to be recognized. I'm not the one that needs to be glorified. He said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the friend of the groom or the best man who stands and listens to him rejoices greatly Because of the groom's voice. that The groom is so overjoyed about getting married to this woman. And so John says, this joy of mine as the best man has been made full. Okay, these verses right here, they cut at the heart of our desire to push ourselves to the front. These verses cut at the heart of our desire to promote ourselves. To, to, to feed on affirmation, to, to step into the spotlight, which is what our flesh wants to do. The, these verses work against that. While the world worships stars, Jesus tells us to slide into obscurity, to, to step out of the spotlight, to, to go from being the star of the show to a stagehand. John says, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. Heck, I'm not even the groom. I'm just the best man. What's the role of a best man or a friend of a groom in Jesus' day? There were several. A little bit different than our time. In those days, the the, the friend might have contributed significantly financially to the wedding and and the reception. He may, have, he may have just wanted this thing to be such a blessing that he helped financially with that. Like in our day, the, the, the best man was a witness, a witness to the ceremony. He stood and heard the vows and was a public witness giving affirmation to the relationship, the vows that were made. He was responsible to, to sort of oversee the ceremony, not to perform the ceremony, but to make sure that the, the ceremony went according to plan. In some cases, the best man was responsible to make sure that the, the pre-bridal preparation that she had to go through, there was, there was ceremonial cleansing called the bridal bath. There were other things the bride went through. He didn't watch while that was happening, but he had to make sure that those things were taking place. And then, and then in some cases, he would actually escort the bride to the ceremony, different from our day, right? Right? But the the best man had this, this invested interest in his friend and he wanted to make sure that the bride was fully prepared and that she got there. No skipping out on my friend. You're not ditching him. I'm going to handcuff you and make sure you get to the altar. So he was going to make sure that this thing happened. And John the Baptist embraces that role. John realizes his role is preparing the bride for Christ. And you know what, friends? That's our role. Our role is preparing people to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to worship Jesus. That's our role. It, John would say, it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about my life and my needs. It, it's, all, it's all about him. We, we would do good to wake up every morning and make that confession that it's all about Jesus. Amen? Well, the second thing he says is, is he must become greater. Jesus must become greater in my life. The, the word there, for, let's read the scripture there in, in verse 30. You, you've read this before. He must increase, but I must decrease. The, the word there in the Greek for increase means to expand or, or multiply or grow. It, it means to, to kind of to, to grow into the fullness of something. Jesus Christ must become greater in my life. He must increase. He must grow. His life must expand in me. Paul says it a little bit differently in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Here's what Paul says. My children. Now, he's talking about those in the church that he had personally led to Christ. He had, he had brought them to Jesus. They were his spiritual children. My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Paul is speaking, he's, he's, he's declaring an impossibility here. He's saying, those of you, I'm like a, like a mother who has already given birth, already gone through the birth pains, already gone through the suffering of childbirth. This is pre-epidermal, ladies, come on. This is no meds. You just tough it out. You grind it out having that kid. You, you know, the stretching and the tearing and everything that goes on with giving birth to that little one. Paul says, If it was necessary, I would do that again to see Christ formed in you. My wife said last night, I wouldn't do that again. There's no way. Once was was enough. My my, my little children with whom I'm I'm willing to go through the pains of of childbirth again if it means Christ being formed in you. I love what another version says. I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget it until people can look at you and see Christ. Isn't that good? I'm I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to pay the price, whatever that is, until people can look at your life and not see the crummy old you, not see the crummy old me, but see Jesus being formed in me. See me growing into the the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. To see Jesus changing my life. He's got to become greater, friends. He's got to become greater in our life. What does it mean for Jesus to become greater in our lives. One thing is that I must give Jesus a greater place in my thoughts. I need to think about him more. Jesus and spiritual things needs to fill my thoughts more regularly. More than Netflix, y'all. As good as that is. More than recreation. Everything else. What are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your thoughts with? What do you think about all the time? Here's what David said in Psalm 119. He says, I will meditate. That means rehearse in my mind. Go over and over your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. When David's talking about precepts and ways, that's the same thing. It's it's the word of God. The the ways of God that we see in his word. David said, I'm going to meditate over. I'm going to rehearse in my mind. I'm going to read the word and think about the word and study the word because the word reflects who God is. He goes on in verse 97, same psalm. Oh, how I love your law. I love your word. It's my meditation all the day. Friends, what if that was our confession? What if, what if we say we have to give God a greater place in our thoughts? Jesus has to take a greater place in our thoughts. And, and Now listen, you, you work. I get that. You go to school. I get that. You have responsibilities through the day. I get that. You can't just sit down with the Bible and read the Bible all day. I understand that. But what if you sat down at the beginning of the day before you started all that activity? And just read and studied his word for a few minutes. And then throughout the day, you've thought about, you meditated on what you had read that morning. Maybe you take a couple notes and you take it with you and you think through it. You put a post-it on the dashboard of your car and you're thinking about, meditating on. Your thoughts are moving toward Christ and who he is. Jesus has to have a greater place in our thoughts. Jesus himself said this in John chapter eight. He was speaking to those Jews who believed in him. Jews that already had faith in who he was. And he said, if you continue, if you stay, if you remain, if you stay steadfast in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Let me tell you what Jesus was not saying there. Jesus is not saying, if you read the Bible and if you go to church and if you pray, then you'll be a Christian. This isn't a salvation by works. Jesus is saying, if you're truly my disciple, the evidence of that is you're going to be in my word. You're going to stay in my word. You're going to abide in my word. You're going to love my word. If you love me, you're going to love my word. It's just, an, it's just a reality of discipleship. Jesus expects us to continue and stay and abide and remain in his word to fill our minds with his truth. Philippians 4.8, if there's anything good, if there's anything excellent, worthy of praise, noble, let your mind dwell on these things. Not only do we need to to give Jesus a greater place in our thoughts, but we need to give Jesus a greater place in our relationships. What if, in every one of your relationships, your approach was not, what can that person give me? How can that person meet my need? What can I get from them? What if that was not the question you you asked of every person in your life that you have a relationship with, whether it's a spouse, a child, a friend, someone you work with, a family member? What if it wasn't, what can I get from this person? What if the question you asked of every relationship in your life is, what does God want to do in this person's life, and how can I help them get there? Just think about that for a second. What does God want to do in my friend's life? What does God want to do in my girlfriend's life, my boyfriend's life that I'm dating? What does he want to do in my spouse? What does he want to do with my children in their lives? And how can I help them accomplish that? Husbands, can I just speak to you for a second? You'd have a different woman if that was your your commitment. You'd have a different woman if you got up every morning and said, what does God want to do in my wife's life? And how can I help her accomplish it? What can I do to draw her closer, bring her closer to God's purpose for her life? You know what, guys? You'd be less offended, less less put off, and more forgiving if that was right. Ladies, how about you? What if it wasn't, he never gives me what I need. He never listens. He's not emotional, right? He never cries. What if it was just, what does God want to do in my man's life? And how can I help them get there? Can you imagine a marriage if both of the people had that commitment? And if you're single today right now and you're dating someone or or looking forward to dating and getting married, let let me just give you a little clue here. That's the person you want to marry. The person you want to marry is not, what can I get out of this relationship? How can you meet my needs? The person you want to find is, what can I do to help that person fulfill God's purpose in their life? Can you imagine that kind of relationship, that kind of, of marriage? That kind of family, that kind of friendship, if both of you are just saying, it's not about me, I'm going to give Jesus a greater place in my thoughts and I'm going to give Jesus a greater place in my relationships. I think everything would be different. So so here's, here's confession number two. He must become what? Greater. Number one, it's all about Jesus. Number two, he must become greater. And number three is this. This is the painful one. Get ready. I must become less. Ouch. That's the one we don't like. We don't want to become less. We want to become more. We want to be the star. We want to be the center of attention. We want to be the one everyone likes and worships and adores. But I have to become less. What does it mean to become less? Well, we'll look at the verse again, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Confession number one, it's all about Jesus. Confession number two, he needs to become greater. Confession number three, as you begin your day, every morning, I must become, say it with me, less. What does that mean? What does that look like in a life? Well, the first thing is you need to talk about yourself less. You need to talk about you less. We've all had the the, the person in our life that we, we tell them something about us. And for the next 10 minutes, they, they tell us about how they did that or, or wh- how they experienced that. And we're like, wait, I thought we were talking about me. And all of a sudden, we're, we're talking about, they're talking about themselves for, for 10 minutes. Charlene and I call those when we's. They're when we people. You, you tell them something about your life and they say, yeah, but when we were in school. Yeah, when we worked there. Yeah, when we, when we, when we, we don't care. Okay, now let me, let me pause because... God wants to use your pain. God wants to use your experience. God doesn't want anything in your life to be wasted. He wants to leverage it for ministry to help people. So there is an appropriate time for you to interject into that conversation what God has done in your life. I'm not saying that. But it's not all about you. You Just have a little self-awareness as you step into conversations with people that maybe we should just listen Maybe we should just pay attention to what they're saying. Maybe we don't need to always reference how we've dealt with that and what's going on in our lives. We need to become what? Less. We need to talk less about ourselves, and we need to seek attention less. We need to be comfortable not always getting the attention of people. So, so when we get up in the morning and we get dressed before we go out of the house, you need to dress appropriately, physically appropriate in terms of what you're going to be doing that day appropriate. You need to dress in a way that's going to give you confidence if you're, if you're leading something or you're going to be in front of people or you're just in relation. You need to dress appropriately that you feel secure. You don't feel weird or anything. But the way you dress doesn't need to draw attention to you. You don't need to have everybody, wow, like, wow, you look good. You don't need that. But, but see, our flesh wants that. If we're going to become less, it can begin with something simple like, like how we dress for the day. You know, humor is, is awesome. We, we had a couple of guys here this week, the date night comedy thing. They were absolutely hysterical for, for 45 minutes, we're just belly laughing. It was awesome. But in relationships, we don't need to be the class clown. We don't need to be the life of the party all the time. We don't, we don't always need to be cracking the joke to get people laughing. <laughs> what a funny guy. What a funny lady that is. Well, let, let's be funny. Let's have a sense of humor. But let's don't use that to always draw attention to us. Okay, you're here right now with either by yourself, maybe with a friend, maybe with a spouse, maybe with family members or whoever's around you right now. But I want you to think. About the person in your posse right now, the person in your clan that's the most competitive. Okay? Now I want you to point to them. Who's the most competitive person right now in that group? All right. For, this is easy for some. Now, this is me. So this is my story. So I, I told you that we're not supposed to talk about yourself, and then I'm gonna tell you how I'm gonna talk about myself, okay? <laughs> me, 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 right? Okay. I've, I've had a struggle in my flesh with being competitive. I've been overly competitive. Part of that competitiveness has, has, helped, has helped me in basketball um, to become a good player. I was super competitive. But, but most of that competit- competitiveness was unhealthy. I, I wanted to win because I wanted the glory of winning. I wanted the attention of winning. I didn't want to lose because losers don't get any attention right? I wanted to win because I wanted to be in the spotlight. I wanted everybody to say, wow, what a great this, that guy is. What a great this, that guy. What, what a great, what a great. I, I, I was competitive. I didn't want to lose. I wanted to win to be in the spotlight. I couldn't even play a table game with my family without practically beating my kids up and cursing my wife if I didn't if I didn't win. I mean that's a little bit of an overstatement. But but I was super. Comp- I can, God has worked in my life. God has softened that area of my life. God has humbled me in in that area so that I can actually play a table game with my family, with my wife not wanting to divorce me and my kids not hating me. It's a wonderful feeling. It, it really is. You don't have to win at everything. You can play the game, enjoy the family, enjoy the people that are there, and not win, and be okay with that, and applaud the one that wins. Like, I'm learning that, that we can do that. People always ask, what would Jesus do, right? What would Jesus do in every situation? If Jesus played football, you know, would he hit the guys hard? It's like, come on. Yes, he'd crush them, actually. I mean, he'd play hard within the rules. You know, would, if Jesus played baseball, would he take the, the shortstop out at second base on a double? Of course he would. That's the game. He just wouldn't cleat them. Right? Okay. So what about board games? Like, like how would Jesus play board games, fam, family board games? Well, he'd enjoy the family, right? And he'd he just enjoy being with people and he'd love to, Some people say, well, he'd lose because he's so humble, he wanted everybody else to feel good. No, I don't think he would. I think he'd win everything because he, he would know every answer for sure, right? but I don't think he would lord it over us. <laughs> I, I think we wouldn't mind having Jesus win. But can, can you compete and, and enjoy the, the journey of competing without having to win? That, that, we have to become less and, and not need to be in the spotlight. And, and the last thing is related to becoming less is we, we have to die to every desire of our flesh that isn't the will of God. We have to say no to everything that we want to do that God doesn't want us to do. And that that begins with sin. That begins the things that we know are sinful and wrong. We have to die to our flesh and say, no, I'm going to become less. Jesus is going to become more in my life. I'm going to say no to that temptation in my life. But it also has to do with things that are good, that we just want to pursue, that maybe God doesn't want us to pursue. And so 11 years ago, I was coaching high school basketball and teaching at a Christian high school and having the time of my life I mean we had we had a basketball program that, that had risen in the area. We, we won a league championship the year before. We, we had all of our kids back. I mean, we were gonna just absolutely dominate. And at that time I got a phone call from a local church pastor that said, Would you would you pray and consider being my associate pastor? It was a small church. I'm like, eh, I don't think so. I'm like, I'm loving this. I love coaching. I love these guys. I, I love being around students. I, but it was the will of God to, to take that position, to go back into pastoral ministry. How many of you know you have to die to things that aren't bad, but God's not calling you to that? Sometimes you have to, you have to die to a relationship. If you're in a dating relationship, sometimes you have to say no. that I, They're a great person, but they're not the person that God wants me to be with. And that's painful and it's hard, but you have to die to your own feelings. I, I ran across a, an article by John Bloom called Die to Your Flesh and Live. It's a battle. It's a battle to say no to our flesh. Uh, Your flesh will fight you. He says when we should be watching and and praying to the Lord, our our flesh really wants to sleep. When we should be sleeping, our flesh finds Facebook fascinating. When we should be diligently teaching our children God's word, our flesh would love to just watch a relaxing, family-friendly movie. When we should be meditating on Scripture, our flesh becomes a fountain of ideas for reorganizing the room and improving the yard and critiquing the political candidate. Isn't that true? When we should be doing this, our flesh wants to do something else. When we should be cutting our calories, our flesh demands a sugar-laced snack like a cinnamon roll or a chocolate donut. When we should be relishing the joy and freedom of sexual purity and fidelity, our flesh desires to imagine or view defiling and lewd images. Here's what Peter says about dying to ourselves. He personally, Jesus, carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin. Say dead to sin. The power of Christ's death and resurrection gives us the power to say no. We can be dead to sin and live for what is right. We can do the will of God. By his wounds, you are healed. Point number one is it's all about Jesus. Point number two is Jesus needs to become greater in my life. Point number three is I must become less. And point number four is I must sacrifice my reputation. I must lay my reputation on the altar. Let's read this verse as we close. Whoever receives Jesus' testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Sets his seal to this. Now, that's a word picture. Some of your versions don't say sets his seal. Do you know what a seal in, in, uh, in Bible times was? Even today, but we don't use it as much. It was, it was a mark of an owner. Uh, wax would be melted, and they, they may have had a signet ring or some other mark that they would press into the wax, and it declared that they owned that. It was theirs. You, you sent a, a letter on the envelope. You would seal it with wax, and then your signet ring or the mark of, of who you were. You, you put your public seal on that thing. You owned it. You put your name on it. Let's read that verse again. Whoever receives Jesus' testimony, whoever determines that they're going to walk with Christ, sets their seal on it that God is true. In other words, you're not afraid to publicly say, I believe in Jesus Christ. You're not afraid to put your signature, your your mark, your seal on what you believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. I believe he he came to the earth, that he was born of a virgin. I believe Jesus lived a sinless life, that he died a criminal's death on the cross, that he took my sin and your sin upon himself. I believe they put him in a tomb. I believe after three days, he rose from the dead. I believe later he ascended to heaven, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Far above all rule and power and authority and dominion and every name that's named, the highest place in the universe, I believe there's no other name by which you must be saved, except the name of Jesus Christ, and I'm willing to put my seal on it. I'm willing to publicly declare that Jesus Christ is everything the Scriptures teach, and I believe it. I don't care what you think. I will set my seal on Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. He has to become greater. I have to become less. And I have to sacrifice my reputation. Stand with me this morning. Let's pray. Open your heart to the Lord this morning. God, we come to you today. These words are hard for us. You're calling us to step out of the spotlight and into obscurity. You're asking us, Lord, to move from being the star of the show to a stagehand. And that's hard for our flesh. You're asking us, Lord, today to die to the things that we want to do that are outside of your will. We're we're asking you today, Lord, that you'd strengthen us by the power of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in a manner that pleases you. We're asking you today, Lord, that that we would have the, the courage to rise up every day and declare that we are not the Messiah, that it's not about us, it's all about Jesus, that Jesus, you would become greater, that we would become less And Lord, give us the courage this week to put our public seal on Jesus and everything he stands for. Amen, amen. True disciples become consumed with Jesus. It's okay to be consumed with something, right? May may you rise in the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit every day. And declare these four things. It's all about Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. And I must sacrifice my reputation as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you today.